morning, good morning. How are we doing? You're so welcome to the vineyard. If you're a guest or a visitor, I just want to introduce you to the newest member of our family. The vineyard family, not my family. Um, Dana's away at the minute. Actually, imagine that, like she comes home. Surprise! <laughs> this is Oscar. And he belongs to Mark and Pauline and Chris. He's just arrived. I'm actually, oh, there, look. With a baby dedication in the 945, and uh, <laughs> we, we thought it was only appropriate to have a puppy dedication in the 11:30. So this is a new, it's a new ministry we're launching. So any of you any pets, goldfish, guinea pigs, you know, whatever, you know, God, God loves everything. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, oh, I know he wants to stay. Um, look, he's escaping. So cute, eh? Um, if we haven't met before, my name's Andy, and um, I don't always look like Borat. Um, <laughs> so, um, whenever, whenever Dana's away, um, she's in the States at the minute, whenever Dana's away, I usually don't shave. So when I'm in the, look in the mirror, I remind myself that I at least have control of something. Which is, which is, in fact, actually, Yvette and Mark have had the twins all weekend, so you, you might want to pray for them before they, they go home. Um, but yeah, if you, if you are a guest or a visitor, you're so welcome. We are thrilled that you're here. We hope you feel at home and at ease among us. Um, just wave at me if you're a why person. Like, you, you, you can't help but ask why whenever you bump into stuff or things or, you know, like... Yeah, like I, I live with uh, three chronic wires, and um, sometimes it's whiners, but um, my, my, my little people are like, they just constantly, you ever, like, any parents in the room live with some why people? Like, it like, doesn't matter, it literally doesn't matter um, what's going on, where they are, what's happening, they just cannot help themselves but ask why. In fact, our seven-year-old um, said to one of the twins about a, a week ago, we were driving somewhere and they were doing, they're like, why is that there and why is that like that and why is this guy like this and why is that guy doing that and why is that thing happening over there and Nora's in the front and she went, would you two ever stop asking why? I thought, thank you, Lord, for someone who understands me. Um, but, you know, like, to be honest, it's not really a surprise that my kids are why people, because I am a huge why person, and I've never grown out of it. Like, I've, I've never escaped the why thing, and I absolutely tortured my parents whenever I was a kid with that question. In fact, like, if you ask my mum what was Andrew like as a child, she kind of gets this, like, thing happening. I don't Try not to remember that kind of stage. But it shouldn't be a surprise for me that I ask why a lot and my children ask why a lot because we had a family motto. We have a family motto, actually. And uh, this was kind of schooled into us when we were very, very young. And so I, like, my parents complained about childhood. I'm like, well, listen, like, you guys taught us these things and we're just kind of living them out. But we have, we have a family motto, Sunday lunches and other kind of things. This would have been talked about all the time. And this is, this is how it sounds. Any of you wonder why I can sometimes be a little bit intense? This is why. So our family motto is this, that rules are made for the obedience of fools and guidance of wise men. It's, it's actually brilliant, you know. But, you know, when you put that in a, in a child 
And that becomes slightly complicated. So I, I actually tried to introduce it to the twins when they were about three, and Dana was like, are you crazy? That's got to come in around 25 or somewhere around there. But literally, like, we were, we were raised with this idea. My grandfather would talk about this all the time, that rules were made for the obedience of fools and guidance of wise men. And it depends on, my wife is a rules person. Like, she's a proper, like, what's the right thing to do? What am I expected to do? And let's do that. And I am, like, the absolute opposite. I cannot help, no matter where I go, if somebody says, you should really do this, I just go, why? Why? And Dana's like, shut up. It's not time for that question. Just do what they're saying. We're supposed to get on this plane. And if you don't do what they say, they won't let us on the plane. Then we'll be able to go on holiday. I'm like, okay, cool. But can we talk about why they're doing it this way and not that way? Because if we did it that way, actually everybody else would have a better time. It would be much more efficient. And we wouldn't have to stand here looking like agents. I, I just cannot help everywhere I go, no matter what's going on. I live with this constant nagging question of why. But I wonder how many of you have ever asked that question whenever it comes to things of faith, church, Christianity, religion, all that kind of stuff. Like, why do we do this? Like, what are we actually doing here? I wonder how you would answer that question. Don't, don't do it, that'd be embarrassing. You'll all say a million random things. But like, why, why are you here? Well, because it's Sunday morning and we live in Northern Ireland and that's just what you do. Well, that's definitely changing. Why, why do we do the things that we do. We're starting a new series this week called Basics, and we're going to try and answer some of the why question to lots of things that are just assumed when it comes to our rhythms and habits of faith and practice and church and all of that kind of stuff. This morning, in a little while, I'm going to talk about the Bible and why we read the Bible and why that should be, I think, a good idea. Next Sunday, Stu's going to talk about prayer. Week after that, James is going to talk about worship, and then I'm going to finish up in um, three weeks' time talking about people and the world around us. Like, it's funny, when you get into any kind of large group of people, like there's, there's just assumed kind of behaviors, attitudes, words, languages. Um, it's, it's kind of weird, right? Like if you're new to church, maybe some of you went to tribes last week for the first time, like no matter how hard we try to explain as much as we can, you just bump into phrases and expressions that like you're just going, I, I don't know what they mean. Any of you remember the first time you went to Starbucks? Same, same exact experience. First time I went to Starbucks, um, I know it's not cool to like Starbucks anymore, but there was a time when it was cool. Do you remember that? Anybody remember when actually Starbucks was cool and they got one in Junction 1 and everyone's like, Starbucks is in Junction 1? We're all going to go. Anyway, first time I went to Starbucks, I made this huge mistake. I, I moved to California. Someone took me to Starbucks and uh, the girl said, what do you want? And I said, coffee? <laughs> oh, if only life was so simple. <laughs> I said, what do you, what do you mean? She said, what kind of coffee? I said, hot, please. <laughs> You spend time around, around, you know, there, and then you, you find yourselves, fast forward, whatever it is, and you have this, like, language that you speak. You go into a coffee shop, you know? Or this new thing with milk, you guys probably know all about this. Like, I, I knew that there were, like, millions of different kinds of milk. I had a coffee, ended up in a coffee shop last week in Belfast, and I ordered a coffee, and the girl said, um, we only, you know, we only have oat milk. I said, goat's milk? She said, no, no oat milk. I didn't, I didn't even know oat milk was a, was a thing. But a, anyway, sorry, I'm on a total tangent now. Whenever you get around, like groupings of people and all this kind of stuff, there are things that we assume. And if you stick around long enough, you can kind of catch it or, or pick it up. And sometimes the church is, is the worst place in the world for this. 
where we have like a way of speaking and doing life that actually makes no sense whatsoever to those who haven't been kind of schooled in the ways that we do things and talk about things and our attitudes and all that kind of stuff. And so the next couple of weeks, we want to kind of strip everything back and look at some of the basics, the basic building blocks of life with Jesus and how we actually do them and more importantly, why. Why do we read the Bible? Why do we pray? Why do we worship? Why is it important that we care about the people around us and the place that we call home? But before we jump in this morning, I want to do a little bit of work on the, on the bigger picture. Like, what's the point of Christianity? Some of you are like, Japers, Andy, I don't know if I came for that this morning. Um, I'll try to be brief. Genesis 1, 26, 27 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Listen to that text in Eugene Peterson's translation for the message. I think this is beautiful. It says, God spoke, Let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself. Every animal that moves in the face of the earth, God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. Be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Before we can answer the question, what's the point of Christianity? It's maybe helpful to ask a precursor question. What's the point of creation? Before we can think of where this thing called following Jesus fits in all of this, it's maybe helpful to zoom out for a minute and go, what's what's the point of creation? What's actually going on in all of this? Why are we here? The philosopher Alistair McIntyre famously said, I cannot answer the question, what ought I do, until I first answer the question of which story am I a part? I can't answer the question, what should my life be about? Until I first answer the question, what's actually going on? What is reality? What's happening all around us? And here in Genesis 1, we see a really interesting answer to the question, what is the point of creation? God created human beings, and he created them God-like. Reflecting God's nature, he created them male and female. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, Fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the earth. Be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the earth. Listen further on in the scriptures to the words of Jesus from John chapter 10. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Or again in Eugene Peterson's message translation, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. 
more and better life than they ever dreamed of. God's desire is that humanity would flourish. We were created to flourish and that in our flourishing we would cause the world around us to flourish. And we believe here at the Vineyard that human, human flourishing is discovered whenever we get reconciled to God and through that each other and the world around us. That the whole point of Christianity is that through placing our hope and trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we would be restored in relationship with God the Father. And through the power and leading of the Holy Spirit, be transformed to become like Jesus, allowing us to occupy all that God had in mind and heart for us when he made us. Namely, that we would take responsibility for the people and places all around us. You know, there's an interesting idea floating around in our culture that says this, that life is enhanced by the avoidance of responsibility. That kick, kick responsibility down the road as far and for as long as you can. And this is borne out when you actually look at the statistics of uh, how people are getting married much later, they're having kids much later. You know, you talk to people in their 20s and they're like, no way am I getting married till I'm like in my 30s and I'm definitely not having kids till I'm in my 40s because I, I want to I wanna have as much fun and life and all that kind of stuff and until my life becomes restricted by those like archaic ideas like marriage and kids and all the responsibility that comes with that and of course it's actually a lie because the truth is that our life is not diminished by responsibility it's enhanced why because we were created for it we were created for it and it's really interesting that if you track this idea that we are better off if we avoid responsibility it tracks completely in line with the deterioration of our mental health I had a conversation with my 93-year-old grandfather a couple of weeks ago, and um, we were talking about this house that Dana and I are trying to build on top of a mountain, and um, he said, like, what, what kind of, he goes a builder, and he said, what kind of structure is the house? And I said, uh, well, it'll be, it'll be timber frame, granddad. And he said, well, it's t- timber frame, why are you doing that? And he said, well, we can get much more insulation, it's a bit more airtight and whatever. And he said to me, it's just my completely uneducated 93-year-old grandfather, he says, do you know what's wrong with the world? I thought, jeepers, there's the start of a sentence. I said, what's, what's wrong with the world? He says, people spend far too much time trying to protect themselves. Life's enhanced by struggle. Now, I'm not advocating we all go out and try and find struggle. But I think what he's tapping into is this idea that we were designed, created for responsibility. And there is a denial of that which we were created for when we try to avoid it and somehow tell ourselves that our life will be better. That we'll be better off if the the less responsibility we have when actually God created us and placed us on the earth and said, be responsible for it. Cultivate it. Care for it, nurture it, draw out the divine potential that I have hidden within it for the flourishing of everyone. The point of Christianity is that we would surrender our entire lives to the rule, of re- rule and reign of Jesus and that we would learn to demonstrate that rule and reign in our lives and communities for the flourishing of everyone. 
now that we've completely nailed that, we can move on, right? And in this series, we want to look at the basics of what is required for us to walk with Jesus, learning to become like him. So I wonder what you think the Bible is for. Have you ever had that kind of question roll through your mind? It should be my chronic addiction to asking why. I couldn't help but ask that question when I began to follow Jesus. All of a sudden, like reading the Bible is really important, right? You know that old song, read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. But what's it, what's it really for? I wonder, do you have one? And incidentally, if you don't, you're welcome to any of them that are lying around here. We did a funny story of a couple in our church. And uh, I was with the husband that we were going somewhere and we were getting something out of his boot. And I noticed his boot was full of our black Bibles. And I said, what, you get a boot full of our Bibles? He says, yeah, every Sunday I take a few because I give them away all the time. And he says, my wife thinks she'd be really mad at me, but I've told her you would love that. I was like, <laughs> I said, you can tell her that you're right. <laughs> if you don't have a Bible, please take one with you. If you have somebody in your life that you would like to give a Bible to, please take one and give them away. Um, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. For any of you that are into stats, we hear this. Last year, the Gideons gave away nearly 60 million Bibles. 60 million Bibles. In America, there are over 150,000 Bibles sold or given away every single day. 150,000 Bibles every day. Now, what that tells us is owning a Bible will do nothing for you. It doesn't, like, sitting on a shelf, sitting in a car, like, you know, if, if, owning, if owning a Bible was all it ticked, or took, I, I think America, <laughs> I think America would look kind of different, right? Sorry, Tim. At least one book of the Bible has been translated into 2,100 languages. Isn't that incredible? This is mad, right? Someone even translated the Bible into Klingon, the Star Trek language. <laughs> Somebody needs to get a life. <laughs> but the reality is, actually, our biblical literacy is changing. A Gallup poll found less than 50%, sorry, some of these stats are quite American-centric, less than 50% of Americans could name the first book of the Bible. Only one in three, in one study, only one in three Bible owners this is brilliant. Welcome to the family. So good. Uh, only one in three Bible owners think Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Billy Graham is a much more popular answer, apparently. 12%, this is a European stat, 12% in one survey thought that Noah was married to Joan of Arc. I enjoy this, right? Voltaire, the 18th century French philosopher, famously said, a hundred years from my death, the Bible will only be found in museums. A hundred years after his death, the Bible Society in France bought his Parisian home and put their headquarters in it. <laughs> now, I don't know, I don't know if, if that was on purpose or not, but the, the irony, the reality is that our world, our judicial system, our culture, for better or for worse, even some of our political system has been hugely influenced by this book. But what should we do with it and why? 
what should we do with it and why. Two ideas that I want to unpack with you in the time that we have left that I think the scriptures do for us. One is that they anchor us and two is that they provide a door for us to encounter God. You see, in this community, we actually believe that the scriptures are divinely inspired, that they have authority over our faith and conduct. This might seem like a dated idea, but let me ask you this question. Where do your beliefs come from? Where do your beliefs come from? The reality is that we, our, our minds are full of beliefs, and some of them are kind of weird. One of my other grandparents has this belief that if you leave a house through a door that you didn't come in, something terrible will happen to you. And so if you come in the back door, you have to leave the back door. If you come in the front door, you have to leave the front door. And we've never quite figured out what this terrible thing that's going to happen because, well, he makes sure that he always leaves through the door that he came in. And that can seem maybe um, a little bit funny, but the reality is we all have kind of weird beliefs in some kind of place or other. One of the best ways to actually discover that you have weird beliefs is marry someone from another culture. And then you find all this stuff, particularly if you move here with them. And then they start asking you questions that you thought you were a white person until you bring somebody in from the outside. And you're like, Flip, I never thought about half of this stuff. Where do your beliefs, where do they come from? One of the more common beliefs in our culture goes something like this. That people should be free to do whatever they want so long as it doesn't harm themselves or anyone else. Right? It's totally reasonable. Isn't it? Like it's pretty much pinnacle of our idea on life right now culturally. People should be absolutely and utterly free to do whatever they want so long as they don't harm themselves or anyone else. And I can't help but say, why? I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm just saying, why? Or who gets to define harm? Where, where, does, where does that come from? Why not organize around the survival of the fittest, the strong win, the weak lose, and the world continues to progress? Like if we've bought into this idea of a free market and we're just a complete cosmic accident and we're just like a bunch of meaningless cells that have taken this kind of form, then why is it wrong that we would enslave somebody and sell them? Why, why would that not be okay? Where do your ethics actually come from? What informs them? What underpins them? I know some of you are like, I did not come for this, Andy. Tell me that Jesus loves me and send me on my way. You see, for us, in this community, the scriptures give us an anchor into the story of the world and humans within it. We believe that it's wrong to exploit people because, as I read earlier in Genesis, we believe that every single human being, no matter what color, no matter where they're from, they are created with inherent dignity and value and worth because God made them that way. That's where that ethic comes from. The scriptures give us an anchor. They help us to understand what's going on in the world. You see, every worldview has to try and answer the same questions. No matter what worldview you have, it has to. If it's going to actually stand up to some sort of engagement in the public square, dinner conversations, coffee conversations, whatever they are, every single worldview has to stand up to four pretty basic questions. Where did we come from? Who are we? What has gone wrong with the world? And how do we go about trying to fix it? Basic, basic questions. Where did we come from? 
Who are we? What has gone wrong with the world? And what can we do to fix it? We believe in this community that the world was intelligently designed and created. Now, we could argue all day long whether that was six literal days or six time periods. Frankly, I don't mind, and I hope that doesn't offend any of you. I'm actually probably more swayed into that it wasn't six literal days, but we don't want to get stuck there this morning, okay? Where did the world come from? You see, for me... Believing that this is some kind of cosmic accident actually requires more faith. It's a greater leap for me that all of what's going on in the world and the universe just randomly, accidentally happened. I find that harder to believe than it was intelligently created. Who are we? We just talked about that. We are divine image bearers placed on the earth to care for it and cultivate it and draw out the potential that God placed within it for the flourishing of absolutely everyone. What has gone wrong with the world? You see, unless you live permanently with your head buried in the sand, you cannot deny that something has gone tragically wrong. Centuries since the abolition of the slave trade and more human beings in slavery today than at any other time in human history. Our world is not okay, no matter how comfortable your existence is. Where does the corruption and the greed, the addiction to the exploitation of the poor, where does that come from? And what can we do To fix it. The story of God provides an anchor for us into these questions. Where did we come from? Who are we? What's gone wrong with the world? And what can we do to fix it? Why do we read the scriptures? Well, for us, we we read them to anchor ourselves into the story of God. That on these pages we find a sweeping narrative of what's actually happening in the world. And I don't know about you, but my assessment of our culture is we are in desperate need of some anchors. Many of us, our days and our weeks, our months and our years, we get blown around depending on the storms that hit us at the most unexpected times, health storms, financial storms, relational storms. And we need an anchor that is beyond just, you know, be a good guy. The scriptures anchor us into something much bigger than ourselves. And that's really, really important. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Sometimes reading the Bible is boring, right? No minister is not supposed to say that. But any of you ever try to do the like Bible in a year thing? You get through Genesis, and that's like you know it's kind of exciting. There's lots going on, you know, and you know then you get into Exodus, and it's like you know it's the, the, like there's lots of random crazy stuff going on. It's very exciting, and you know then you get into Leviticus, and it's like ooh things are starting to get a bit slow. And if you've made it to Deuteronomy or the end, you deserve a prize, you know. And you'd like it just kind of everything slows down, and you're like, this is hard work. Like just lists upon lists upon lists of random stuff that we don't really understand. And then you're like, nah, I'm out. 
then, you know, you wake up and it's December and it's getting a new year and you're like, I should really try that Bible thing again. You know, maybe if I just start in Joshua, everything will be okay. You see, that's what happens if you read the scriptures for information. Like if you've just subscribed to some kind of read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. So I'm trying to explore this whole faith thing. I should probably read the Bible. But like, it's just like, wow, it's weird and it's long and, you know, I don't really get it. And like, we're not supposed to read the Bible for information. This is not a textbook. The scriptures provide a doorway for us to encounter the presence of God. And until you understand that, the snooze button or the Netflix show or whatever's going on on your phone will always be way more attractive than you ticking some religious box of, I've read my verse for the day. We have to be so careful and realize that there is something deeply mysterious about the scriptures that whenever we read them, God can speak to us. We don't, we don't read the scriptures to just buff ourselves up with Bible knowledge. We read the scriptures to hear from and encounter God himself. I can't tell you the number of people that I know that just started reading the Bible and met God. Like they, they just thought, hey, yeah, I'll maybe give this a go. And then God started to speak to them and change their lives. You see, in the scriptures, we find a revelation of the character and nature of God. And they are a doorway into relationship with him. But we must never confuse this. And we have to be so careful about this. We do not worship a book. We worship Jesus. And this whole thing points to him. John 5, Jesus speaking to the religious leaders of the day. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think they have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. This is mad, right? So Jesus is standing right there and there's a bunch of religious leaders going, yeah, hold on a second. We're trying to find God. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're really deep into these. But yeah, hold on a second, Jesus. We're really trying to find God. And he's standing in front of them going, don't you get it? They point to me and I'm right here. Do you want to know me? The scriptures point to Jesus and they become a doorway for encounter. That is the whole, that is the whole point. They provide an anchor for us and they facilitate encounter for us as we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we read them. For some of you, I know that your experience of the scriptures has become completely dry and a religious ritual and routine because maybe you've been around this thing for a while and actually it's been an age from you felt that piercing moment where God himself spoke to you as you read some words on a page. Listen to the words of Psalm 1. 
that Stu read for us earlier. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does prospers. I wonder how many of you would like that for this year, 2019, that all that you do would prosper. All that you do would prosper. Could it be, could it be that learning how to saturate our lives in the scriptures and to meet God there would somehow mysteriously cause our lives to prosper. That's exactly what the psalmist is saying. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Imagine if that was your life this year, your family, your business, whatever it is, that it was like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. You see, we have an incredible legacy in the scriptures in this land. And I think, and I don't mean this overly judgmental or offensively, but I think we have wandered a bit from that. We have wandered from this idea of meditating in the word of God in the morning And in the evening, it's maybe become a little bit stale or a little bit dated or like it's just too big or I don't know really what I'm doing. But what if actually, as we move out of a season of kind of rest and reflection in our community into a season of planting and cultivating, what if as we move out of that together, we actually determined to learn how to saturate our lives once again in the word of God. Not in some puffed up way that we can all quote verses upon verses or all that kind of uh, sword drill stuff, which I'm not against, but it just kind of sometimes misses the point. What if we learned how to saturate our lives in the scriptures so that our lives would become anchored in the story of God that is way beyond whatever is going on, and so that we would live in a daily place of encounter and refreshment from a God who loves us. You see, this is a dangerous, dangerous book. And for some of you, I dare you, I dare you, for the next two weeks, give it two weeks, just begin to read the Gospel of Mark every day. Just pick a chapter, don't tell anybody, right? And pray this kind of really weird but cool prayer. God, if you're out there, speak to me. God, if you're out there, speak to me. Just begin at the beginning of Mark. It's about three quarters of the way through the Bible. If you get to the end of Mark, just jump forward to Acts and read through that. If you get to the end of Acts and you're still going, come speak to me and I'll I'll give you some more. But I dare you, you cannot understand the number of people I know whose lives have been radically changed by just picking up a gospel that somebody maybe gave them went, I'll give it a go. What's the worst that could happen? Jesus could change your life. And that's a costly thing, but it's absolutely worth it. I want to finish this morning reading a text 
But six weeks after I started to really seriously follow Jesus, I read the Bible every night. I, I don't know what was going on. I was like, I'd never been interested in the Bible at all. And then I had this experience with Jesus and I, couldn't, I just couldn't put it down. And um, I got to this text about six weeks after this. I was 18 years old. I was lying in bed. And it says this. This is Joshua 24. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in, in, and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 18 years old, my parents' house, lying in bed, I read that text. I had no grid for what was about to happen to me. I just felt compelled to roll out of bed. I'll never forget it. Supposedly heading to Harriet Watt University to study sports science and psychology. Kneeling on my bedroom floor, scriptures open in front of me, reading this text. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I put my hand on the Bible and I just said, God, I want that to be me. I think you're speaking to me. And I want that to be me. About five weeks after that, I was on a gap year with Youth of Christ. Fifteen years later, here I am. I never quite made it to Edinburgh. When God meets us in the pages of Scripture, everything changes. Everything changes. So I want to invite the band up. If you're able, will you stand? Go ahead and stand. I'm going to read a passage from the letter to the church in Colossae. It's the letter of Paul to the Colossians. I want to invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable. Just close your eyes as I read this passage. Holy Spirit, we welcome you among us. but I, I just had a sense of worship earlier that as I begin to read this text some of you are going to experience physical healing um, I, this is so random I've never had this before but I feel like there's somebody here and you have like uh, you have a problem in your I think it's with your toes or with a, with a foot um, just as I begin to read this text pay attention to some of the physical things, restrictions, ailments, pain that's in your body. If you're in pain in any way, just be aware of that pain right now and maybe just pay attention to it as I read. Just close your eyes if you're comfortable. This is Colossians 1. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would enable us to encounter the presence of Jesus. I speak to physical ailments and I command them right now to be healed. I speak to pain and I command it to go. Speak the broken toes and command them to be healed in Jesus' name. And I release upon you a hunger for the word and words of God, a passion for the scriptures. God, we are so grateful for the legacy of your word in this land. And we ask that you would restore that to us and to our children and to their children. That we would learn how to meditate on the things that you said day and night. And that it would cause us to prosper for the benefit of everyone. So if you, um, if you have some pain in your body or had some pain in your body, maybe you feel restricted in some way, can you just check that out? Just, you know, if it's an elbow or a knee or maybe you couldn't wiggle your toe when you come in, but it, it's now wiggling. God loves wiggly toes. <laughs> Something I've never said before. <laughs> can you just wave at me if you're experiencing any change or improvement? The healing in any way, just we're not gonna ask you to come up or you know put you on the spot. Dylan? Brilliant. Anybody else? Ah, so good. Wonderful. Yeah, brilliant, 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 brilliant. We'll get your stories um before we go. But this is this is what happens. This, this scriptures are a doorway for us to encounter God's presence. And in his presence, things can't possibly stay the same. Hope and faith rises in us. Lord, we're so grateful for who you are. We're so, so grateful for who you are. We worship you, Lord Jesus.